When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they can become something more. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource devoted to the discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Chris Bruffett. How are you doing, Chris? Feeling good, feeling great. That's excellent. We are in our second episode of the Asgardians today, very much like we went through Wakanda in our four-part series. We're going to have a four-part series on the Asgardians, Chris, and I'm just excited it's just begun because... I'm loving these characters more. The more work we do, the more research we do, I love them even more. They are pretty cool. Loki's going to be wild, wild, wild. <laughs> wild. I cannot wait. I want to learn more about Loki as well. That aside, you know, we got all the gamma spoilers, which we talked about last episode. But let's shift gears a little bit because something we haven't talked about in some time, which I want to get both of us excited and prepped for this year Disney, Marvel has released the full seasonal schedule of the new movies and new TV shows within phase four of the MCU, starting with Black Widow, which we talked about on the show. Very excited for that. I'm very excited, too. More than just we talked about the trailers, fine, that we even saw on the show. Not that great a trailer, but we're more excited about the prospects of the movie, how it can be a different superhero movie. It really does look like it's going to be more of a spy type film yeah Yeah, thriller film and on top of that red guardian man david harbour is red guardian you know i'm excited about that i really think it's gonna be fun if nothing else it'll be fun yeah so i'm not like dying to see it but i'm very excited to see it and it's gonna be nice to get some more black widow content she is gone in the mcu right now so it's an interesting way to keep her around just audiences watching her which is great but i think i'm even more excited now and I didn't really think I'd be that excited about this, Chris, but as more times passes and the more of this show we do, the more excited I get about these television shows, mainly the one I was least excited about, I'm more excited about, which is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which comes out August. So that's not too far away, the end of the summer, essentially. There's so many ways that can go. It should be fun. Well, we've gotten you know just those brief teasers we got at the Super Bowl, not much of anything. I would say less than teasers. They were you know images and and some audio and things like that. And, you know, I'm excited about Falcon Winter Soldier. We saw Zemo and Falcon and Winter Soldier all in it. Briefly, we didn't see Zemo's suit yet. 
you know, that's going to be exciting when we do. Bucky and Falcon working together seems neat. Interested to see that. Bucky cut all the hair off, so it's a Samson moment. I don't know what happened there, but it's all gone. <laughs> yeah, going to be interesting. I was not a huge fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., though I did have several friends who were. I never even watched it. So I'm excited about a higher budget, higher production, tighter reined in story. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a way with these heroes that we love. So it's kind of looking that direction. So I'm excited about that. Not too far after that, Chris, we have two more things for the year. We have the Eternals coming out in November. That's the one I am most excited for. Oh, yes. Statcast. We've been talking about the Eternals on the show recently, so it seems proper. We're going to talk about right. them more as we're going through the rest of the Asgardians and the beginnings of our Guardians of the Galaxy content, because you guys know that's coming. Things like the Eternals and just the nebulous worlds around that type of stuff is going to get tied together more and more. We'll have you ready by the time it comes out for that, hopefully, Chris. Hopefully our show by November will have covered a lot more content, even hinting at the Eternals. You know, oh, yeah. Because it's happening right now. So that's exciting. And then right after that, we have WandaVision, which I am so excited about. The concept is so strange and so interesting, Chris. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen anything about it. It's essentially in present time in the MCU. So Vision is gone. He's been killed, of course. But Wanda has kept him alive in her mind. It's almost shifting through worlds. And it almost seems like some Doctor Strange elements, too. But they've shown scenes of her and him in like a sitcom in the 50s. Yeah. They've shown other elements. So this is the most exciting to me because it's the most different. Like, what are they going to do? Is it going to involve much superhero fighting at all? We'll see. Is it going to be more of their relationship, more of a drama type thing? Is it going to be more psychological because Wanda's dealing with his passing? Interesting. A super interesting concept for an episodic television show. So Yeah, more of a cerebral type setting. Yeah, how are they going to develop the story is what I'm worried about here. Vision, is he going to actually return? To the living or is he always just going to be this figment and her imagination and her power creation she has it's interesting we don't know much yet but we will not far after that the beginning of next year we're gonna have shang chi which i don't know much about shang chi we know the martial arts mastery business sure uh, and you know this is of course the movie for legends of kung fu the title but yeah i don't know a whole lot about the character either and i will have to rectify that between now and then and i'm sure we will on this show and Right after that, Chris, is two things I'm most excited about. We have the Loki television show in the spring. We have the next feature in the Doctor Strange universe, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And then not long after that, we have the What If show, which is a animated show, I believe, that is What If scenarios. What if Cap didn't pick up the shield, but Peggy did? What if Peggy was given the serum? Things like that. Interesting What If scenarios with characters and villains switching roles. And that's pretty interesting. And not terribly long after that, Chris, in the summer, we have Spider-Man 3, which I'm very excited about. Oh, yeah. That'll be that'll be huge. We have the first two Spider-Mans with Tom Holland. We're going to have the third one. I think we're going to know more information, too, because between this gap of time, too, the Morbius film drops and Morbius and Spider-Man and Sony and Marvel are, seem to rectify things and doing some crossover between that and Venom and Venom 2 with Carnage. It's interesting stuff. And then Towards the end of the year, there's the Hawkeye television series, and then most important of all, Thor, Love and Thunder, Taika's next Thor entry. That's going to be great. This is a very exciting time, Chris, because all this is new. All this is kind of Marvel taking different directions. They're going to make less money, but it's going to be new, exciting stories. We're kind of getting our footing in this new storyline. We're building up these other characters like Strange. We've talked about 
that are going to play bigger roles and things like that. I'm interested to see. And then, of course, we're getting into this phase four, which is going to focus a lot on cosmic stuff. That's what I'm the most excited about. I really hope they go through some of those late 90s, mid 2000s cosmic universe things, Annihilation and whatnot. It's just, it, the mm. story is so cool. And I need Nova. I know, I know you do. I know you do. What's exciting, Chris, is there's more than this. This is just the stuff that's been finalized and set in stone seasonally when it's coming out. Of course, we know they're they're doing New Blade and things like that. So it's all going to be there. It's just this is what we have right now. And this is kind of the direction they're taking. And I, I like this. These are all kind of side stories. These aren't major stories. And of course, they didn't mention in there a date, but Guardians 3 is coming out as well. It just hasn't been confirmed when it's happening. James Gunn's been redoing that, being back on the project and stuff. So it's all very exciting news, but it's worth talking about on our show. And something I'm looking forward to, Chris, we can do on our show that'll be a completely change of pace from our normal format is some first impressions movie reviews after these major movies come out. And you and I can kind of look at it from our lower lens. I think that'll be fun. That'll be super fun and get an off the cusp kind of how did it feel? You know, Black Widow will be the first one, but all the way to Doctor Strange, the next Doctor Strange feature. I'm very, very excited. We just mentioned Thor Love and Thunder, and there's a character that's going to play a major role in that, and that's Valkyrie. And what do you know? She just so happens to be the subject of our episode today. That is absolutely right. And I am excited to learn more about her, Chris, because I know very little in the way of outside the MCU and outside the major Thor storylines. So I'm excited to hear more about her as a character. But before that, we've got to go thank the patrons. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting it with a monthly contribution. We thank all of our patrons for their support. We'd like to thank our new patron, Roger. Roger, thank you for your support. Thank you for making this train go. Thank you for joining our team. Thank you so much, Roger. And most importantly, Chris, we have a producer now. Big time. We have someone at the Avengers tier on our Patreon. We have an Avenger on our team. That is Scott. Scott, thank you for being a producer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. You're going to hear Scott's name a lot because he's a producer of every episode, so he will be mentioned every episode. Chris, let's get into lore. Valkyrie is based on the Norse mythological figure Brunhilder. Valkyrie became a mainstay of the superhero team known as the Defenders and a close ally and a one-time love interest of the superhero Thor. Valkyrie, also known by her Asgardian name Brunhilde, was selected by Odin to lead his personal unit of shield maidens, the Valkyr. Renowned for her prowess in battle, Valkyrie is often accompanied by her winged horse Aragorn and carries the enchanted sword Dragonfang. In the 2010s, Valkyrie became a founding member of the Secret Avengers and co-leader of the Fearless Defenders with Misty Knight. Among Valkyrie's other aliases are Barbara Norris, Samantha Parrington, Cian Bowen, Annabelle Riggs, who all at one point hosted her spirit. Samantha Parrington, one of Valkyrie's previous hosts, later received superhuman powers and became a member of the Defenders herself. Valkyrie was created by Roy Thomas and John Bushima first appearing in the Avengers number 83, December 1970. So her appearing in the Avengers, Chris, is interesting. We see a lot of characters popping up around this time, and Valkyrie seems to be no different, which was a new bit of information for me. I didn't know she'd been around this long. I had no idea. Brunhilde was selected by Odin, king of the gods and the realm of Asgard, to lead the Valkyr, the choosers of the slain. 
a group of warrior goddesses who would appear over battlefields of mortal worshippers of the Asgardian gods and choose which of the fallen were worthy to be taken to Valhalla, the land of the honored dead. Brunhilde served capably in this capacity for centuries. According to a sentient, disembodied eye that claimed to have once belonged to Odin, the Asgardian monarch once gave his son Thor the mortal identity of the warrior Sigmund. Circumstances forced Odin to decree that Sigmund must be slain. Brunhild, recognizing that Odin was acting against his true wishes, sought to protect Sigmund, but Odin himself then caused Sigmund's death. Brunhild helped Sigmund's pregnant lover, Sieglind, get to safety. As punishment for her defiance, Odin removed Brunhild's Asgardian powers and immortality and cast her into a trance. She was eventually awakened by Siegfried, the son of Sigmund and Sieglind, and another mortal incarnation of Thor. It's already crazy. It's getting a little wild. Once again, seeing that meshing of Norse mythology and comic books. That's right. And we're going to see a lot more of it here before this Asgardian stuff is over. Brunhild and Siegfried became lovers, and she made him invulnerable so long as his back was not turned on his foe. Siegfried fell under the influence of magic and betrayed her. He was later murdered, and Brunhild, still in love with him, leapt into his blazing funeral pyre. This part of her background is based on the Volsunga saga. Odin later restores both of them to life, restoring her Asgardian roles and powers, but removing the memories of their earthly lives. It is unclear how much truth, if any, there is to this account by the eye. That was like a Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it's very, there. very complicated, convoluted, <laughs> and fatalistic. So very Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Brunhild and her fellow Valkyries continued to gather heroic mortal warriors for Valhalla until roughly a millennium ago when Odin was forced to cease virtually all interaction with the Earth in accordance with a pact that he and the leaders of Earth's other pantheons and gods made with the extraterrestrial Celestials. From then onward, the Valkyries could only choose slain heroes from among the fallen Asgardian warriors. Brunhild was bitter over being barren from choosing warriors on Earth and roamed Asgard in pursuit of something more meaningful. In a tavern on the outskirts of Marmongrad, Brunhild encountered Amora the Enchantress, who offered her a life of adventure. For several weeks, Brunhild accompanied the Enchantress on her quests. Brunhild soon discovered Amora's immoral nature and tried to end their partnership. In response, the Enchantress trapped Brunhild within a mystic crystal of souls. While Brunhild's body remained in suspended animation, her immortal soul became Amora's plaything. Over the centuries, the Enchantress used Brunhild's spiritual essence to give the Valkyrie's powers to herself or to her pawns. Specific instances of Amora's exploitation of the Valkyrie before recent years, are not yet known. The first time the Enchantress assumed the Valkyrie's physical aspect in recent years was in a plot to lead a handful of female superhumans against the male Avengers, as the Lady Liberators. Her true identity was discovered and her plan thwarted. Months later, the Enchantress bestowed the Valkyrie's power upon a socialite named Samantha Parrington in an attempt to get her revenge on the Hulk. So here's one of those first hosts that we were talking about earlier. Finally... A woman driven mad by being trapped in another mystical dimension, Barbara Norris, was given the Valkyrie's power and consciousness by the Enchantress to help her then-allies, the group of superhumans called the Defenders, escape from the clutches of the sorceress Cassiolina. Amora did not undo her spell on Norris after Cassiolina's defeat. As a result, Nora's body now possessed Brunhilde's consciousness, appearance, and powers. 
while Norse's own mental essence was trapped in Brunhilde's real body in Asgard. Aware that she was an immortal essence in a mortal woman's body, the Valkyrie briefly left the Defenders in an attempt to discover Barbara Norris's past. She meets Norris's father, Alvin Denton, shortly before his death and then returns to the Defenders. It was not until a minor Asgardian warrior named Olyris attempted to take over Valhalla that the Valkyrie's two mixed aspects met for the first time. Brunhilde's mental essence trapped in Norris's transformed body fought Norris's mental essence trapped in Brunhilde's real body. I feel like that's like the Spider-Man meme of them pointing at each uh-huh. other. Yeah, that's very much. Very much so. At the end of that encounter, the Valkyrie's body, still possessed by Norris's mind, was consigned to the Nephilim, a realm inhabited by the spirits of the non-heroic Asgardian dead, while Brunhilde's mind and Norris's transformed body accompanied the defenders who had made the other dimensional journey with her back to Earth. For reasons yet unknown, Brunhilde was not concerned at this time about reuniting her mind with her true body. It was not until Barbara Norris's body was murdered that the Valkyrie's spirit mind were inadvertently freed from their mortal host. With the help of Doctor Strange's magic, Brunhilde regained her true body, which was then rescued from the Nephilim by the Enchantress, back in her real body, regained her full memory and normal warrior personality as well. Brunhild then battled Amora and banished her to the Crystal of Souls. Feeling estranged from Asgard in general, and Odin in particular, for their neglect of her century-long plight, Brunhild chose to return to Earth and be with the Defenders. Odin placed the dangerously powerful self-styled goddess Moondragon into Brunhild's charge. Brunhild was to teach Moondragon humility, and Moondragon served alongside Brunhild in the Defenders. Brunhild was to take action against Moondragon should she again become a menace. Eventually, Moondragon reformed, but later she fell once again under the malevolent influence of the alien entity called the Dragon of the Moon. Moondragon, Dragon of the Moon. Oh my goodness. Oh my. What a comic book thing, right? What a comic book indeed. Moondragon attacked the Defenders, but Brunhild, given temporary additional powers by Odin for this occasion, including the power to grow to gigantic stature, opposed her. Brunhild summoned other Valkyries to her aid, and together with the two other defenders, the Angel and Cloud, they defeated Moondragon, but failed to capture her. Months later, Moondragon returned to attack the defenders, but during this encounter, her power was vastly augmented by the alien Beyonder. In order to defeat the dragon, Brunhild and the Eternal, called Interloper, projected their immortal life forces against it. They were joined by Defenders member Andromeda and the Defenders' former foe, Manslaughter, for it's necessary that Brunhild's and Interloper's life forces pass through mortal instruments in order that Moondragon be defeated as well. Joining hands, the four allies hurled the tremendous power of their combined life forces at Moondragon and Gargoyle too, whose body was now under the dragon's control. Three other Defenders went to rescue endangered innocents, when they return, Brunhild, Interloper, Andromeda, Manslaughter, Moondragon, and Gargoyle had all seemingly been transformed into statues of ashes and dust, and the Dragon of the Moon was apparently gone. Brunhild was restored to life by Doctor Strange. Now, in the body of a woman known as Sian Bowen, the other defenders, Interloper, Andromeda, and Manslaughter were restored to life as well, and they formed the Dragon Circle to battle the Dragon of the Moon. After the Dragon of the Moon was defeated, Brunhild returned to Asgard. Brunhild was later killed in battle just before Loki's destruction of Asgard. 
With the return of the Asgardians to Earth, Brunhild was next seen as a member of the Secret Avengers. Writer Ed Brubaker confirmed that the Valkyrie on the team was indeed the original Brunhild. I love Ed Brubaker so much. Oh, yeah. After the 2011 storyline Fear Itself, Brunhild seemingly defects from the Secret Avengers, embarking on a mission to steal and recover for herself the hammers used by the Worthy. Well, what do you know, Chris? That's the new Crisis card. Well. Recovering the hammers of the Worthy. Calls servants. She later reveals to have stopped consuming the apples of Eden, thus lessening her stamina and resilience and reverting back to a mortal form. And as the Valkor, she is able to seal within herself the hammers. She plans to die after the deed is over, so to banish the worthy from the human place of existence for the rest of eternity. At the end of the series, the All-Mother, Freya, Gaia, asked her with selecting a new group of Valkyries. Only this time, the new Valkyries are to be all women from Earth. The story continues in the 2013 Fearless Defender series, in which Valkyrie recruits Misty Knight, Daniel Moonstar, Hippolyta, and the mortal scientist Annabelle Riggs as part of the new Valkor to stop Caroline Le Fay, the daughter of Morgan Le Fay, and the Doom Maidens, the corrupted undead Valkyries who have awakened in the Valkor's absence. During this time, Valkyrie develops a brief romance with Riggs, who later becomes host to Valkyrie's spirit after Riggs sacrifices herself to save the team. During the 2014 Axis storyline, Valkyrie is among the heroes recruited by an inverted Doctor Doom to join his team of Avengers. During the 2017 Monsters Unleashed storyline, Valkyrie and Hippolyta are seen fighting Leviathan Tide Monsters in Edinburgh. Angela then recruits her to join the Asgardians of the Galaxy. During the War of the Realms storyline, Valkyrie and the rest of the Valkor are massacred by Malekith and his forces invading New York, where Valkyrie is beheaded by Malekith. By Valkyrie. She has not been brought back to life yet. And that makes it better, Chris, I think. Because sometimes when the comic book stuff happens, somebody's instantly brought back, or it was right. all a dream, or oh, I erased your memory. That makes it less impactful. This is much more impactful. Notice a couple of important things here at the end, Chris. We have her relationship with Riggs. We have the Doom Maidens. We have her and the Asgardians of the Galaxy. Interesting stuff. And we're going to get into a lot of this in the future on our other episodes involving not only the Asgardians, but the Guardians. Oh, yeah. It's going to be wonderful. I don't know if our lore is going to touch on the Asgardians of the Galaxy, but we'll, we'll just have to see. That's a lot of history, Chris. That's more history than we even thought potentially was out there for this character. And it was really complicated. It was very complicated. Try reading and writing a lot of Norse mythological names. It's not fun. It's hard. We're not that smart. So, well, we're also not trained in this stuff because it's interesting. This is one of those times we talked about where it's like, it's not a pure comic book thing. It's not a no. pure Stan Lee, Peter Parker that's evolved certain ways over time. This was like, they had a basis of this rich thousands of year old North mythology. Yeah. Pulled from that, added to that, changed stuff from that. So now we're trying to explain that with the comic books and the movies. <laughs> yeah. It's very at the same time. So with her history being done, let's go into her powers. Valkyrie is the strongest of all the Valkyrie. Like all her people, her body is several times denser than that of humans. She is not immortal, but she ages far more slowly than humans. Valkyrie is immune to all earthly diseases and is difficult to injure. Her Asgardian physiology grants her enhanced levels of stamina. 
Valkyrie can perceive the approach of death in the form of a death glow surrounding a person's body. She does not know how death will come, but she can tell that it is imminent. Valkyrie can transport herself and a dying or dead body to and from the realm of the dead by willing it. Valkyrie has had extensive training in sword fighting, as well as unarmed combat and horseback riding. Her natural fighting ability is among the best of all his guardians, matched only by Sif. Valkyrie carries two weapons of choice, an enchanted sword named Dragonfang, a wizard named Kaji Da was said to have carved the sword from a tooth of an extra-dimensional dragon. The sword eventually passed into the possession of the Ancient One, who in turn gave it to his disciple, Dr. Strange. Strange went on to return it to the Valkyrie after she had bequeathed the virtual indestructible Black Knight's ebony blade to its rightful owner. Her other weapon of choice is an unnamed iron spear. That's pretty, it. It's just simple. a spear. It's just a spear. It's great. It's our second character that fights with the spear after Okoye. Yeah. I love that her sword has this rich history again, Chris. What we talked about with Thor and we talked about we'll see more of this going forward. Tying Norse mythology, tying to Greek mythology, tying to classic fantasy. All the swords are named and they're all enchanted in different ways. It's a nice little touch. Lastly, Valkyrie rides on a winged horse, Pegasus, named Aragorn. Aragorn was given to her by the current Black Knight. And yeah, the name Aragorn, it rings a bell. I think I've heard it before. They're referencing some important cultural texts, potentially my favorite book of all time. And it's interesting that comic books can do stuff like this and get away with it. I do like it. It's fun. It's fun. They sneak it in. Yeah, it's just a little just a little Easter egg. If you didn't know, it doesn't hurt anybody. You don't know. If you do exactly. know, it's fun. That leads us right into Valkyrie's appearances in the MCU. And she doesn't have very much, Chris, but I do think she's going to have a lot going forward. I certainly hope so. Part of the reason we talked about this MCU timeline that's coming soon, the beginning of the show, I think Valkyrie is going to make some appearances. We obviously know she's a major player in Love and Thunder, but I think she's going to have even more outside of that. And I really hope she does. I would really love it if she got her own feature of some sort. Maybe Love and Thunder is more that than we think. It could be. Because they said part of the movie is her searching for love. Aw. Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie, I have nothing but amazing things to say about it. She was perfectly cast. She did wonderfully. She is so wonderful. And her first appearance in the MCU was Thor Ragnarok, a movie that Chris and I have talked about on this show ad nauseum. We love it. We will more, I'm sure. Taika found her, got her in that. Got a great performance out of her. And, you know, I just, I love the design of her in this movie. I love her first costume and then her Valkyrie costume at the end with the the white and gray and the blue cape. It's nice to see the MCU make these changes to costumes, but maintain the overall look, but then bring it into the modern MCU. She only has one other appearance. It's in Avengers Endgame in the final battle. She's on Aragorn. She's fighting. Excellent. It's everything you want. <laughs> yeah. It's majestic. It's so majestic. Her next appearance that we know of is Love and Thunder. She might be mentioned or seen before that in maybe one of these shows. It seems like, Chris, it'd be an interesting route to take if they do more Defender stuff in the future. Because the Defenders, it's it's so strange. But but once again, which, which version of the Defenders will we be getting? But you notice we were talking last episode about it being unexpected that Doctor Strange is the leader of the Defenders. And then we just went through a whole lore section day about him leading the Defenders against all these various attacks. Valkyrie right. is with him. He's bequeathing her weapons. <laughs> I mean, funny right. stuff. Uh, it makes sense. It's just it's interesting. Just, it's just a history I was not very familiar with. Right. And, and remember, 
on the news we read last episode, it said other heroes are going to be joining the Avengers as well that right. exist, Spider-Man, Hulk, and characters like the Valkyrie. So we know she's going to be a multi-faction hero in this game, too. I, I like it. It's, it's just, good. It's fun. So, Chris, that was a really robust history and lore for a character most people know less about than these other characters that have these robust lures. Well, now we all know a little more. Let's move to strategy. Her name is Valkyrie. Her alter ego is Brunhilde. She has a stamina of six, a speed of medium, a height of two, and a threat of three. Her defenses are as follows. Three physical, three energy, three mystic. Anything stand out to you, Chris, about this character? What's standing out to me the most immediately is from her baseline stats, she seems like your average character. She seems like she's at the very middle of everything. Absolutely, Chris. And she's a threat three character, and this matches up with that. All these stats seem about right. Six stamina, the regular medium speed, regular height, average defenses across the entire board. Looks similar to Zemo. And he's a threat three as well in these basic stats difference between the two of them. But you're going to see some correlations with her and Zemo and Killmonger, these different type sword fighter brawler characters. We're going to see more of that in a minute. Let's move on to her first superpower. It's strike. It's the physical strike range two, strength of five, zero power cost. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. Nothing crazy, Chris. It's just a basic strike. No triggers. No given things, no extra range, not super high, not super low on the strength. Just average, normal. Just a strike. Let's go on to our next attack. This is going to be Dragon Fang. It's range two, strength seven, power cost of three. After the attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed special condition. That just happens, okay? And then on a wild, you gain flurry. After this attack is resolved, this character may make a strike again. So on wild, you're going to get to do the zero cost, five strength, economy boosting strike. This is her power right here is this ability. It's a physical seven strength attack. It could be stronger if it was an energy attack or something because energy is a weaker defense overall in the game, but it doesn't really matter, Chris, because it's a decent attack that gives bleed guaranteed, and then it might trigger flurry and get a extra free attack. So you're looking at a potential, if your rolls go right, of four attacks in one turn. Pure insanity. That could be pretty good. Yeah, because you know why that could be pretty good? That's 24 dice. That's a lot of dice. That's a lot of dice. That's a lot of chances to do damage. And you know, sometimes it's what you need in a dice game because dice are going to go different ways. They're going to do weird things, but it doesn't matter. If you're rolling more dice, even if you have some rerolls on top of this, Chris, from other characters' benefits, like that Shuri upgrade or right. things like Zemo fighting alongside her or tactics cards that give her rerolls or even faction abilities. The higher dice pool matters more then. But you're right, Chris. Four attacks is nothing to scoff at. Modok melts people because of that chair. Right. And this is a weaker version of Modok's chair, but who cares? It's a three threat character. Modok's a five threat character. Exactly. Completely different. Her first superpower is an active superpower called Asgardian Might. It costs two power. Choose an interactive terrain feature or enemy character, both size two or less, and within range two, and throw it short. The superpower can be used only once per turn. So, Chris, this is just a weaker throw. I say weaker because last week we had Thor, which is the best throw we've seen on a smaller base character in the game. This is just a weaker throw, but it doesn't matter because it only costs two. 
if you have affiliations or things to reduce that cost, it's less than two. It's size two or less. And it is nice that it says train feature or enemy character. Yes. That's what's nice. Sometimes we get these throws that are a higher number on the terrain, a higher size of the terrain, but they might not throw a character. So it's just a little throw. Just a little throw. Just a little toss. Let's talk about her next superpower. It is an active superpower. It is called Charge. It's going to cost two energy, and it is going to take the place of an action. This character immediately makes a move action followed by an attack action. This superpower can only be used once per turn. So once again, we said echoing those other sword brawlers, the Zemos and Killmongers of the world. This is why. She's going to be mobile, Chris, and this is cool because this does take an action to do it unlike a lot of superpowers, but it says immediately followed by an attack action. So you can move, dragon, dragon fang, fang, and then strike potentially. And you didn't waste any action economy there because you got to move as well. It's so cool. Especially we've seen this before. Thor had this as well. So now you've got two characters. If, if you're rolling a strike, both, though, which is interesting, it was a strike, but he had a guaranteed stagger. So there's difference balancing acts here. And, but it's the same idea of moving and being able to, it's a very cool as guardian thing is what I'm saying. You're looking at a lot of damage going against the as guardians soaking a lot of dice. Yeah. Because of that affiliation ability. So what's interesting about this, Chris is, Keep in mind, too, if you're running her in Asgardians under Thor's affiliation, you can pay the power to remove the staggers or anything's off of her. So you can guarantee that you're not losing actions because it seems like if she's always charging, always dragon fanging, always striking, you're going to get your value out of her. She's right. Keep in mind, she's only three threat. I love it so much. She's certainly one of the more interesting three threat characters we've seen in the game. Let's move on to her next superpower. It's an active superpower called Warrior of Legend. It costs two power. During the next attack made by this character this turn, it may change one die to a hit for each crit or wild in its attack roll. This is interesting. If she rolls crits or wilds, which obviously are rarer, but if she rolls those, she can modify poor dice on the remainder of the dice that are out. I like it. It's consistent. And you know, it only costs two power nothing on her sheet here is costing a dragon fang comes in at three but all her superpowers are at two why didn't That's friday really... ai read like this because you know i always struggle with it it oh, always whiffs for me it feels bad just adding extra dice and then you roll them and nothing happens statistically it might be better i don't know i'm not a dice person this is nice chris it's just a little bit of mitigation for her just a little bit of consistency. You do have to pay for it. Though. It's just like Friday AI in that way where it scares me. That brings us to our last power, though. She is an Asgardian. This is an innate ability. Yes. During the power phase, this character gains one additional power. You're getting two power during the power phase. Mm-hmm. You've possibly done a charge Dragon Fang into a strike and gained a couple more power back. That's right. You know, her powers do not cost too much. That's right. I think they're very properly priced. Nothing blows you away with her character, but there's really not a whole lot of negative either. Yeah, and you're probably not going to use this Warrior of Legend earlier in the game or earlier on attacks. It, right. It's probably a good way to finish people off, though, Chris. When, when somebody's really close to being flipped or KO'd, True. go and spin this because it's going to give you a higher chance to get guaranteed hits. It's worth a shot. But the biggest thing with her and her economy, Chris, that you want to work on in strategy is just make sure you can always pay for the dragon fang because it's a free strike built in. It's so nasty. And like you just said, as long as you can dragon fang at the beginning of your turn, you can potentially strike or dragon fang again after that. Right. You might be able to pay for it. 
even if you can't pay for a second Dragon Fang, you can just strike. So it'd be Dragon Fang strike strike potentially, which would right. be fine. It'd be great. So you're going to want to manage your power pretty well. You know, it's not too expensive, but at the same time, I don't know. Are people going to target her that much? Is she going to generate that much power? You know, that's that's an interesting thing. You're going to have to shift depending on what she's doing. If she's not really being attacked, if your enemy's trying to ignore her, you might only use your power for Dragon Fang. You know, try to strike and stuff, and almost even save the charge till later game. You know, because the chance of more damage is just higher with Dragon Fang. You know, and it's even higher with Warrior of Legends. So you might want to use those when you can. So, Chris, the only other thing with her is she gets flipped her injured side. The only thing that changes is she goes down to five health. So that leaves her at 11 health, which is completely fine for a three threat character. It's not the best. It's not the worst by any means. Now that Rocket's out, that whole conversation just changed. (laughs) The man does not have much health. I want to say shooting from the hip right now, she's my favorite three cost character. I'm interested to test that. It's tough, Chris, because Zemo might still be the most powerful three-cost character. I just think she's my favorite. I think Iron Man has a big place as well. I'm seeing these three-cost characters being more... You don't think of them as, oh, I need... I've got to pick the strongest three-cost character. No, you can't it's think which, of it that way. It's which three-cost character fits the affiliation I'm running for. It's true. That's That seems to be the role of the three-cost. I think she's a really average to good three cost character i'm not gonna run her outside of an affiliation i don't think though i see what you're saying yeah now what's interesting chris first look here i just had the realization groot's three cost i take everything back so <laughs> groot's my favorite three cost thematically and just his play style chris and i will get to him after all the guardians but i really think there's potential for her within almost every affiliation you gotta fit her though there's potential cabal but- She's doing damage. She's going to get power. From there might be better options. Yeah, there might be. The Baron Zemos and Killmongers might just be better for Cabal because they already are Cabal. Think about this. Think about Charge, Asgardian, Might, War of Legend, all costing one from Cap. That was something I was thinking about. Coupled with her Asgardian innate ability, that could be... It's a lot of economy. That's a lot of economy. could be OP. It could be. And now we've seen the Guardian's abilities and we've seen, we know the Wakandan's abilities, which is re-rolls. It's all interesting. I think it could all work for her. It's just, as you said, Chris, is she going to be a detriment in bumping your affiliation up or not? And right now, she's only an Asgardian. She will be a defender in the future, which is exciting. But you have to have the representation in your list of more than half of the particular faction you want her in. And it's hard to take out, say, an Iron Man for a Valkyrie in your Avengers list. If you're struggling to if meet you're that. struggling to meet that, fair enough. Yeah, I think she has a higher ceiling than Iron Man. Like if played correctly, very similar to Baron Zemo, she can get a lot more done than Iron Man. Sure, that's my biggest complaint with Iron Man. The more I play with him, Chris, I you know I love him. I play him in a lot of my lists just because he's a three cost turret, which is something that's right. nice. But if people kind of ignore him, he never gets flipped to his backside with that Unibeam. It just hurts. It feels like you that's didn't true. get very much value out of him. As somebody like a Zemo or a Valkyrie, or even in your case, Chris, you love running Crossbones. Those characters have a ceiling, right? Crossbones can feel real bad, but then if he's fed and he does work, oh, you're like, oh, that felt amazing. Same with Zemo and same with her. I feel like she can start killing a lot of people. As you said, four attacks is nothing to scoff at. That's very true. I just don't know, man. The range on those attacks is very short. She doesn't have a ton of health. 
She has literally average defense. Average health, yeah. Yeah, and really no way to get rerolls on defense dice. I don't know. Yeah. Once you get her in there, she might be easy to focus down. Probably the most interesting thing about her, Chris, is that she seems like she has consistent damage and she's a threat of three. If you can get her in flanking or present a bigger threat that they have to deal with so she can do damage, I think that's right. a very, very viable strategy with her. So, Chris, let's look at her sculpt here because it's pretty cool. It's nothing over the top, but her pose is great. She's up on one foot. This, the blades are coming down. Any thoughts on this Valkyrie sculpt? I do like the sculpt. Her pose is very mid-battle seeming. It's the traditional Asgardian comic armor, too. It matches the Thor traditional armor. I like to think that her and Thor are in the same point of a battle. I think so. Both raising their weapons <laughs> to the sky and, and yeah. bellowing out a very mighty it. roar. But yeah, I like it. I, I think it would have been cool to go with the movie style. Tessa, yeah. But I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> I would I would have loved that, but you know, I'm not mad at what we got. Yeah, I don't think you've we've discussed my hobbying yet on my Valkyrie, but I am doing that for mine. I'm making her the Tessa version in the white with the blue cape, changing nice. her hair to be more Tessa's hair, because this is more the traditional braids type hair. I would much rather have Tessa. And on top of that, Chris. I found a D&D mini of a Pegasus. Uh-oh. So pictures will come later. We will see what happens with that. But I found a perfectly unscaled D&D Pegasus inspired by people I saw online talking about her having a Pegasus and seeing it ever come to the game. And I think her being on Pegasus would be super cool. Just visually on the board. Yeah, that's going to look awesome. Certainly for the stream. More news about that in the future. But I'm just excited to get her to the table you know, you and I have been so busy. The model race has been so strict and we're the type of players, me especially, Chris, I like my model to be fully done before I put it on the table. You know this about me, but I don't necessarily feel the same way. I like I to, I like to get games in, but it is when you have a table full of painted and, and completed models, it, it is a sight to behold. Yeah. And it's one of those things like if you have 10, 20 models, whatever game you're playing that are all done and painted and you just got one in the mail or just got one at your local store. It is exciting to put together and play with it. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, you can look at those 20 models and say, you know, I've only played with crossbones like once. That's true. You know what I mean? And that's kind of how I view that. I'm like, well, he's painted. Let's play him. So that's kind of my mindset with that because I don't want to neglect those painted minis, Chris, the painted and based minis. I want to put proper time into my you hobby. You have to honor the work that went into those absolutely especially if people are painting for you or helping you out or yep. there's all sorts of scenarios here so i'm excited to get her to, to the table fully again and you know it's been very limited for me so i'm excited to play her the more we cover the asgardians the more i'm thinking they might be my main team i couldn't agree with you more and i'm thinking that asgardians of the galaxy can be a real thing in the future oh, that could be you fun. can have a duo list where you have star lord and thor as your base and you build up from there the final eight fill out those rosters right star lord and thor being the leaders of course and i it can be interesting too an interesting mix thematically certainly but i think they're my team too chris because all four of the characters are incredibly interesting and on top of that they're all incredibly powerful in different ways though valkyrie is probably the weakest but she's also the lowest threat but that aside like their affiliation ability is so good healing yourself one or removing condition when you're in a bind is great it really rests control away 
from opposing players when they run a more control oriented list. Yeah. It's just a, a hard counter. And let's not forget they have their quasi secondary affiliation ability too, is which all of them are as guardians. Right. They all gain additional power. But what's so cool about the design space of that, and thank you to Atomic Mass for doing this, but that's not contingent on their affiliation. No, that's on every card, so it's going to be with you no matter what right. affiliation you're running them in. So if Hella is with Cabal, which is very thematic, Hella's going to keep gaining that extra power in Cabal. Right. But she's Same with Thor and the Avengers, Absolutely. et cetera. It's Valkyrie when she's a defender. Loki when he's an Avenger. Because it True. happens from time to time. It does. Loki when he's Cabal. Yeah, I mean, he was that on happens. the Young Avengers team. Yeah, insane. So Which it's a very exciting series. faction. Chris and I are going to dig more into them, learn them better. This lore has only got me more excited to play them more, more excited to put more time into hobbying them. These are wonderful characters, and I cannot wait to get to the rest of our series on the Asgardians. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Thank you again to our producer, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Catch our streams of Marvel Crisis Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. Follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast, Instagram at Fury's Finest, and Facebook.com slash Fury's Finest. Email us at Fury's Finest at gmail.com and leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. We will read these on future mailbag episodes. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music, and please remember to subscribe, rate, and review to help spread the word about our show. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken, J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. Check out my Star Wars show, The Canon Cantina, where we cover Star Wars content weekly. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll post. Maybe you'll uh, tweet out your uh, Valkyrie when she's done. Oh, man. You got to think about some color schemes and stuff. Oh, I know. So you could go pure traditional with her, or you could go MCU colors, or you could even go one of her alt suits. I mean, oh, I'm sure there's plenty to choose from. I haven't even done the research yet. I love it. Thanks for listening. True believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. drink too much and it probably was going to kill you i don't plan to stop drinking oh oh, good yeah Hmm. so i'm saying that i want to be on the team has it got a name yeah it's called the revengers revengers because i'm getting revenge you're getting revenge i didn't know it was called that when i picked it and we need one with cup holders because we're gonna die so drinks do i know you i I feel like i've known you i know you too it's weird